Jesus came into the world 2,000 years ago in order to make disciples. And by dying on the cross and rising from the dead, he's done everything necessary so that you could be one of his disciples. And that's the best news in the world because think of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. It means that all of your sins, all of them have been forgiven. Past sins, present sins, and future sins forgiven. Completely forgiven. It means that you have Jesus' power progressively freeing you from sin. You're becoming more and more loving, more and more obedient to the Lord, more and more trusting in Him. That's your life. It means that He promises that throughout your life you'll be receiving all the wisdom, all the financial provision, all the guidance, all the strength, all the comfort that you need, you'll be receiving from him as you live your life. To be his disciple means that you are enabled to love other people supernaturally, loving, caring, reaching out to. It means that you'll be raised from the dead. Death's power has been broken. You'll be raised. And best of all, Best of all, it means that you will come to know God in the person of Jesus Christ. That's what it means for us to become disciples. So, are you Jesus' disciple? Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? What does it mean to become a disciple of Jesus Christ? And how do we become disciples of Jesus Christ? That's the question we're looking at this morning. And Jesus answers that question in Luke chapter 14, verses 25 to 35. So let's start with this first question, just to open up this passage. What must I do to become a disciple of Jesus Christ? Start with verse 25. Look at what Luke writes here. Now, great Crowds accompanied him. And he turned and said to them, now pause right there. Notice that phrase, great crowds. We're talking thousands of people were there listening to Jesus. And Jesus knows that some of them listening, the only reason they are there, the only reason they're following him is because Jesus heals the sick and multiplies, miraculously multiplies food. Now, Jesus does love caring for people in those ways, but he knows that if that's the reason, if that's the only reason people are following him, then that means that they are not going to end up being his disciples. They will not end up being saved from their sins. They will not end up being forgiven. They will not end up having the joy of knowing God in the person of Jesus Christ. They will miss the whole point of why Jesus is here. So Jesus knows he needs to wake them up, shake them up, so they understand what is Jesus really all about. And that's why he says what he does next. It's shocking. Put on your seatbelts. Are you ready for this? Verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, and mother, and wife, and children, 
and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Shocking words. So what does that mean? What is Jesus saying? Let me give you some background. The English word, hate, that we use today means to intensely dislike someone. That's the English word for hate. But how can that be what Jesus means here? Because in other places, he tells us to honor our father, our mother, right? He calls us to love our neighbor as ourselves. He even calls us to love our enemies. So what does Jesus mean here by hate? In Bible times, the word hate had a broader range of meaning than the English word does today. In Bible times, the word hate could mean intensely disliking someone, yes, but it also could mean simply loving someone less than someone else. And that's what I think it means in Luke 14. Let me demonstrate that meaning by having you look at Genesis 29, verses 30 and 31, where we will see that it has the meaning not intensely disliking someone, but loving someone less. Genesis 29, 30 and 31. Background, even though God's plan for marriage is that marriage be between one man and one woman, Jacob was married to both Rachel and Leah. Long story, you can read about it in Genesis. But look at what we read in Genesis 29, 30 and 31. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he, Jacob, loved Rachel more than Leah. He loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So notice, first we read that Jacob loved Leah less than Rachel. And then at the next sentence, we read that Jacob hated Leah. Jacob loving Leah less is described as Jacob hating Leah, which is an illustration to show that in Bible times, the word hate had a broader range of meaning than our word today. It doesn't just mean to intensely dislike someone. It also can be used when you simply love someone less. Now, with that in mind, let's go back to Luke 14, verse 26. That's how Jesus is using the word here. So let's read that verse again with that meaning in mind. If anyone comes to me and does not hate, that is, love less than me, his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So Jesus is calling us to love him more than our family members. Now, just a side note here. This will not weaken our families at all. Not at all. It will strengthen our families. Because when you love Jesus more than your family members, when you love him passionately and devotedly, with delight and adoration, when you love Jesus that way, you will be so filled that your, your care and your concern, your devotion to your family will increase even more. So loving Jesus more than your family will strengthen your family. That's how it works. 
That's the side note that you've got to keep in mind. But Jesus' point here is that to be his disciples, we must love Jesus more than we love our family members. And we must love Jesus even more than our own lives. So here's what Jesus is saying. Let me just summarize it this way. To be his disciple, we must love him, desire him, want him more than anything. Family members, even our own lives. That's what it means to be his disciple. Shocking teaching, which would have woken up the crowds, you can imagine. What? What? But Jesus isn't done with this shocking teaching. Verse 27, look at what he says. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. To bear your own cross doesn't mean that you buy a little gold cross and wear it around your neck. The Roman government killed people on crosses. They killed people by nailing them to crosses. And Jesus' audience would have seen people carrying their crosses, bearing their crosses to the place where they were going to be crucified. They would have seen that heartbreaking, tragic sight. So to bear your cross means you're choosing to die. You're choosing to die. And so to be Jesus' disciples, another shocking statement of Jesus, he's saying we must choose to die. Now, die to what? Not every disciple is called to be a martyr who dies for their faith. Some are, yes, but but not every disciple. So that can't be what Jesus is talking about here. So what is he calling us to die to? Remember, Jesus is talking about loving him more than our family members. That's huge. Think of how much you love your father, your mother, your wife, your husband, your children, your brother, your sister. It's huge. He's calling us to love him more than our family members. He's also calling us to love him more than our own lives. Well, that covers everything else, right? And now he says he's calling us to die. That covers everything. So here's how I put all this together. I think what he's saying is that to be Jesus' disciple, we must love him so much that we gladly die to everything else that we have pursued to secure and satisfy us. We die to everything else we've sought to satisfy us so that we can gain him. So to be a disciple of Jesus means we so love Jesus, we so love him, that we gladly die to whatever else we used to seek for our satisfaction or security, and we gladly die to those things so that we can gain Jesus. That's what he's calling us to do. Now, here's some explanation. God has created you, he's created me, so that we all have longings and cravings for security and for joy. We all long for those things. But our longings and for joy and security can only be met in knowing God in the person of Jesus. Nothing else 
Nothing else in the universe will give you security. Nothing else in the universe will give you the joy you're looking for. Only knowing God in Jesus will give you the security and the joy you're looking for now and forever. But tragically, we've, we've all turned away from God because of our sin, right? We wanted to take control of our own lives. We wanted to find our own sources for joy and security. So we've turned away from God to like entertainment, to bank accounts, to food, to shopping, to what sports teams are playing this weekend, right? It's, the list just goes on and on. We're pursuing all these other things to gain security, to gain the joy that we're craving. But that's sin. Because we're turning those things into our gods. And only God is God. Only knowing God in the person of Jesus Christ is how we can be secured and be satisfied as we long to be. Those other things will give us tastes, little tastes of joys and security temporarily, but it's only knowing God in Jesus that gives us the full feast of security and joy and pleasure now and forever. So to be a disciple of Jesus means we love Jesus so much that we gladly die to whatever other things we have sought for our security and for our joy, and we gladly die to those things so that we can gain Jesus. That's what he's saying in these verses. Now, this does not mean that we don't ever experience joy in, in anything else. We do. God loves to give us joy in like a, an amazing guitar solo that you hear somebody playing, or, or a newborn baby, or a, a hot fudge sundae. God loves to give us joy in other things, not because those things will satisfy us or secure us. They won't but because those things will point us to the one whose presence alone will satisfy us and secure us. That's how this works. So we will experience joy in many other things. God loves to give us his good gifts. But we should not seek our satisfaction in those other things. Because if we're hoping that that thing is going to satisfy me, we will always be disappointed. Think of all the times you've been disappointed. Our only all-satisfying treasure is knowing God in Christ, which is why we must, to be disciples, we must love Jesus so much that we gladly, gladly die to whatever else we used to trust to secure us and satisfy us so that we can gain him. That's what Jesus is teaching here. Now, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, if you're from a different faith background, then I would imagine you might have a, a, a couple of questions. But, but one in particular I'm thinking about is you may be wondering, how would it be possible to love Jesus that much? How would that be possible? I mean, you're thinking of all the things that you have surrounded your life with, things that you're hoping are going to secure you, secure an all-satisfying future for you. You've got your work, you've got your money, you've got your friends, right? You've got your shopping, your sports, your fishing, or whatever it might be, right? You've got all the things lined up, and you're thinking, I've got to, like, take all those away, and I'm going to be seeking my joy in him? 
How could anybody, how can we love Jesus that much? And why would we love Jesus that much? Jesus doesn't answer that question in this passage. But we have to answer that question. And so I want to point you to a passage where he does answer it in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. Now, those of you NYU students who were at the Focus Conference, you'll remember this. I hope. I'll quiz you. Matthew 13, 44. It's an amazing parable that Jesus gives us. He says, Matthew 13, 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So picture a man walking through a field, okay? Sand, right? Just scrub, bushes. He's walking through this field, and he, his foot hits a little, what is it? It's, it's, a little, it's like a corner of a little box sticking out of the ground. And curious, he starts to move the sand away and move more sand away, and it's, it, it's a box. And it's, it's a big box, and he's clearing all the sand out, and this is a big old box that's buried in the sand here. And he lifts the top of that box off, and it is full of gold coins. Sinks his hands down, he likes, right, clink, 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 and billions worth of gold coins in that box that he has found out in the field. I mean, what would happen? Your heart would just like, whoa, this is amazing. And so what does he do? He covers it up, finds the owner, uh, you haven't thought about selling that field by any chance, have you? Now, Jesus' point isn't whether this is right or legal. His point is simply, what would be in all of our hearts at this point, okay? That's what he's talking about. He's telling us, what do we do when we find massive treasure? And what this man does when he finds out how much the field, sure, I'll, I'll sell it to you for like 100,000 dirham. Sure, <laughs> love to. What does this man do? 100,000 dirham. He goes and sells everything he has. Every single thing. Maybe he's got 100,000 dirham worth of stuff or whatever the numbers are. They, they, they work. He sells everything he has. So he's left with nothing except this treasure worth billions. How many of you would sell 100,000 dirham worth of stuff to get a treasure worth billions? Just, just checking. Is my math right? Okay, the rest of you, get out your calculators. Okay, do the numbers. Okay, this is a smart thing to do. That's Jesus' point. What's the treasure in the field then for us? It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the treasure in the field. Because to be Jesus' disciple, as we've said, means all your sins are forgiven. I mean, I just was thinking about this morning earlier, standing before God, and there is no guilt on me. None! <laughs> That's true for every disciple because of what Jesus did on the cross. And his power is changing me. I'm becoming more patient and more loving. It's his power. Everything you need, guidance, wisdom, provision, comfort, strength, everything you need supplied, he promised to supply for you supernatural love for others, being raised from the dead, living with him in the new heavens and new earth with the Father forever. 
But most important, greater than all of those, what you get is knowing God in the person of Jesus. You get Jesus himself. He is the treasure. He is worth infinitely more than billions of Durham's worth of gold coins. The treasure is knowing Jesus, loving Jesus, being loved by Jesus, worshiping Jesus. Jesus Christ is the treasure. And in the parable, selling all your stuff is the same as dying to whatever things you used to trust to satisfy you. That's the parallel there. Remember, why did this man sell 100000 all that he had, of his stuff? Because the treasure in the field was worth billions. And so why would we gladly die to the other things we used to pursue to satisfy us? It's because Jesus is infinitely more satisfying than all of those things. That's why. So we're asking, how is it possible to love Jesus this much? And the answer is, just like this man in the field, the reason he could sell everything, the reason he wanted that treasure that much is because he opened the lid and looked at the treasure. And the same is true with us. The reason we will love Jesus this much is when we, when we open the lid of, of our Bibles and see who Jesus Christ is. What makes you gladly sell everything to get the treasure is seeing the treasure. If you're struggling to do that right now, it's because you're not seeing the treasure. You're not, you're not seeing Jesus. And we deal with that all the time, don't we? Satan is constantly trying to blind us, to distract us. Look at that, look at that. And pretty soon it's like, where, where did Jesus go? Open the lid. Open your Bible. Look at Jesus. When we do that and we see who Jesus is, we gladly sell everything. We gladly turn from whatever else we used to trust to satisfy us. And we love Jesus more than anything. We do that because we want him. He's the prize. So I thought at this point, let's just open the lid a little bit and take a look. Okay? I've listed some scriptures. I want to read them for you and look at what we have in Jesus Christ. Start with John chapter 1, verses 1 and 14. This is an amazing passage. In the beginning was the Word. The Word, that's John's word for Jesus. Jesus is the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, Jesus. And the Word, Jesus, was with God. And the Word, Jesus, was God. He was with God, and he was God. Oh, there's glorious mystery there. But feel the, the weight of this. This is in the beginning. Eternity passed before anything had been created. The Word with God was God. And then the Word became flesh. Jesus, the Word, God became flesh. The baby that Mary held in her arms was God himself taking on human flesh. God has come to the earth in the person of Jesus. You see Jesus, you see the Father, like he said. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his 
glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Whoa. Lift that lid up. Look. Sink your hands down into those gold coins and feel the glory that's here. Then Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. Again, speaking of Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, equal to God in every way, humbling himself to be born as a baby, and then humble himself to the point of crucifixion. Now why? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Here's why he went to the cross. For our sake, he, God the Father, made him, Jesus, God the Son, to be sin, who knew no sin. Jesus knew no sin. He had never sinned. The only human being who's never sinned, the God-man Jesus, but the Father made him to be sin. Our sin was put upon him, punished in him, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. By faith alone, we are clothed with Jesus' perfect, sinless righteousness. That's how God sees all disciples now. 1 Peter 3.18 puts it slightly differently. For Christ also suffered. Oh, he suffered. Suffered once. Four sins, our sins. The righteous, that's Jesus, for the unrighteous, that's all the rest of us, that he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, there's the cross, but made alive in the spirit, there's the resurrection. Then Acts 2.38, Peter said to them, repent, turn from whatever else you've been trusting to secure and satisfy you, and be baptized, this is water baptism, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When you put your trust in Jesus Christ, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in you. You have God, the Spirit, living inside of you. And what does that mean? One thing it means, John 4, 13 through 14, Jesus said to her, the woman at the well, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, this living water of the Holy Spirit, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So through the rest of your life, you, you receive the living water of the Holy Spirit through Jesus becoming his disciple. You receive the Holy Spirit. And for the rest of your life, all of your heart thirsts as you set your heart upon Christ and cry out to him and seek him. 
The Holy Spirit satisfies, 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 satisfies. You will never, ever again have a heart thirst that Jesus won't satisfy by the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to be his disciple. John 15, 11. These things I have spoken to you, Jesus said, that my joy may be in you. My joy. My overflowing joy in God the Father. My worship of the Father. My delight in him. My full, overflowing joy. I've spoken these things to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. No one else can give you full joy. Jesus Christ gives you full joy. That's why we love him so much. And then one last scripture, the resurrection. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die eternally. So Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live forever. Just, just a little glimpse. You've just opened up the lid and like, whoa. And there's a lot more there to be seen. But Jesus Christ is the infinitely most valuable treasure in the universe. Jesus Christ is real. He's alive today. He's fully aware of what exactly we're doing here. He loves us. He has you here, because, and he has me here, because we all need to hear this passage. Jesus Christ is the most valuable reality in the universe. And when we see him, when we open up the scriptures and we behold him, when God enlightens the eyes of our hearts and reveals Jesus to us, when we see him as he is, we will love him so much. We will want him so much. We will want that treasure in the field so much that we gladly die to whatever else we've trusted to satisfy and secure us so that we can gain him. That's how it's possible to love Jesus that much. We look at the treasure. We look at Jesus. That's how it happens. And that's what must happen to you to be his disciple. No one can be my disciple, Jesus says, who doesn't love him that much, doesn't love me, Jesus says that that much. Now remember, we're not saved. We don't become Jesus' disciples by works. We only become Jesus' disciples. We only get saved by faith. Faith alone. But faith means trusting Jesus. So it includes trusting Jesus' death to forgive all my sins. That's a crucial part of saving faith, an essential part of saving faith. But that's not all of saving faith. Because Jesus also promises, I am your all-satisfying treasure. You will never thirst again when you have me. And so saving faith also includes trusting Jesus to be our all-satisfying treasure. This is crucial. And when we see him as, as he is, glorious, when we trust him to forgive us for our sins, and when we trust him as our only all-satisfying treasure, we will love him so much that we gladly die to whatever else we used to trust so that we can gain him.
Another question. Jesus has been talking about how he must love him more than all of our family members. That, that, that kind of sounds costly. He says we must love him more than our own lives. That clearly sounds like it's going to cost something. He said we must bear our own cross. That, that's clearly going to cost something. So Jesus, Jesus, why all this talk about cost? I mean, it sounds costly, right? We're getting the idea. And it will cost us. It could cost you a job if you, on your own time, have shared the good news of Jesus with somebody at your workplace who wasn't very happy about that, right? It could cost you friendships. You're not willing to go and do those things with those people and, and they start to distance themselves from you. It can cost you time, right? Time loving God's people, sharing the good news of Jesus, reaching out, caring for the poor. It will cost us. I just read about a man in China who was living in the late 1800s, one of the first followers of Jesus in inland China. And his job had been um, painting the insides of people's houses, including the, the altars where they worshipped other gods. And he knew that he couldn't do that anymore, and, and he lost his job as a result. It cost him. He knew it could cost him, and it did cost him. Other brothers and sisters started to pray, and he got a better job after that, but it did cost him at first. So we need to understand that following Jesus will cost us. So why does Jesus put so much emphasis on the cost? And the answer is in verses 28 to 32. Look at what he says. Luke 14, 28 to 32. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or, second illustration, a king. What king? Going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. I think both these illustrations are making the same point. Jesus wants us to think about the cost. He wants us to count the cost. Because if we don't think about the cost, if we don't count the cost, we won't be able to finish. If we don't understand that there is cost, friends, there can be heartbreaking cost. But if we don't understand there's costs, then we will be shocked when there are costs, and that could cause us to turn back from Jesus. What's this? Nobody told me about this. We could end up disillusioned when the costs come and, and stop trusting Jesus. We can end up disappointed when they come and give up on Jesus. And so Jesus is very clear in this passage, and it's throughout the Gospels. There's cost. There's cost. There's cost. But Jesus is worth it all. It's worth it all. So, Jesus would urge each of us, count the cost. He would also urge us, by the way, when we share the gospel with people, do you explain the cost? 
Jesus was very clear about the cost. Let's be clear about the cost and about the prize, right? The prize. One last question that Jesus answers in this passage. Why is this love for Jesus so important? And look at verses 33 to 35. It gives us two reasons in these verses. Why is this love for Jesus so important? Verse 33, so therefore, any one of you who does not renounce Renounce all that he has, cannot be my disciple. Same truth, different words here. We must love Jesus so much that we renounce everything else. All the other ways we used to try to find our security and our satisfaction. We must renounce them because we want to be his disciples, because we want to gain him. So that makes this massively, massively important. That's the first reason he gives here. Second reason, verses 34 and 35. Sobering. Salt is good, Jesus says. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use, either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Listen to this. Hear this. Don't miss this. If salt loses its taste, it's thrown away. What gives us taste, we're the salt, what gives us taste is our love for Jesus Christ. That's what he's been talking about through this whole passage. It's that we love Jesus Christ so much that we gladly turn from, die to, whatever else we used to seek our security and satisfaction. And we we turn from those because we want to gain Jesus and be his disciple. And Jesus is saying that if we lose our love for Jesus, we will be thrown away. That can happen. Think about the church in Laodicea who had lost their first love. Jesus was going to spew them out of his mouth. If we lose our love for Jesus, we will be thrown away. So here's the question. Not did you love Jesus 10 years ago or five years ago or one year ago. Do you love Jesus now? Do you love Jesus now? Do you desire Jesus now? Do you want to spend time with Jesus this afternoon? Do you love Jesus? Not do you go to church. You can go to church and not love Jesus, right? Church is important. I think church is important. But the question is, do you love Jesus? Not have you been baptized. We're having a baptism next Friday. Baptisms are important. But it's no substitute for loving Jesus. Do you believe, not, not, not do you believe the doctrines of the Bible. Doctrinal belief is super important. But you can believe doctrines and not love Jesus. Do you love Jesus? Do you love him? Do you desire him? Does he bring you joy? Does he bring you pleasure? Does he fill your heart? Do you love him? That's the question. Do you desire Jesus more than anything else? Does he bring you the greatest joy in your life? Or are you seeking that somewhere else? If you don't desire him more than anything else, then what you are seeking will disappoint you. What you are seeking will 
not be a treasure when you open the lid. It's like, nothing there. It's not true with Jesus. There, treasure. Now, if we're honest, we all are thinking, I know, maybe not all of us, but those of you who are disciples are thinking, I need to love Jesus more. I hope that's what you're thinking. Nobody should be thinking, I got this one down. What's the, what's the topic for next Saturday? No, 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 no. None of us has this down. We're either not yet disciples, and you need to hear what I'm going to say next, or you are disciples, and you need to hear what I'm going to say next, and I need to hear what I'm going to say next, okay? What should we do? We turn to Jesus as we are. As we are. No matter how much sin is there or isn't there, we, we need to turn to Jesus and say, help me. Would you forgive me for the times I've sought other things to fill me and secure me and satisfy me? Would you forgive me for turning my back on you and walking my own way? Forgive me through your death on the cross. Forgive me for my sin. And then you pray, Jesus, help me. Show me your glory. Show me that you are the treasure. Jesus, to be honest, I haven't felt this for years or days or months, or I'm really battling not wanting this other thing more than you right now. Jesus, come, help me. And then you open up the Bible. You open up the treasure chest. I hope that this week when you open up the Bible, you'll, you'll hear a little clink, 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 clink. Some of the gold coins are moving around in there. You'll just, right? You're opening up the treasure chest. Show me your glory. And then you read and you pray and you think and you read and you pray and you think. And when you do that, Jesus help me. He will always help you. He will meet you. He will show you his glory. He will touch you afresh with his reality and his presence and his nearness and his love and his mercy and his comfort and his strength. Whatever you need, he will meet you and you will see Jesus Christ. You are the treasure and you will love him more than anything else. You will gladly turn from, renounce, die to whatever else you used to trust to satisfy you so that you can gain Jesus. That's what you'll do. And you will know that you are his disciple. You're his disciple. Let's stand. I want to pray. Jesus, I ask for your power to move upon each person that's here right now. You know exactly the state of our hearts and you have everything we need all the forgiveness we need, all the grace we need, all the revelation of your glory that we need to change our hearts so we love you more than anything. Come and do that, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.